Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome back, listeners, to God Beyond the Bible by Seekers and For Seekers. And before we get started uh, today, I want to give a few shout-outs. I want to shout-out to our friend Kurt here in Arkansas that's a regular listener. I want to give a shout-out to Stephanie and Eva in Iowa and Donna from Arkansas. Okay. All right. I hope that you enjoy and believe in our mission. If you do, share us with your friends. Tell your friends about it. Some crazy bunch from down in Arkansas that's (laughs) doing this podcast, and it's really cool. And you can find us, of course, at God Beyond the Bible, all lowercase, one word, dot com. And you can also send us an email at email at GodBeyondTheBible.com. We'd love to hear from everyone. Most people I know just call me up. We're now in Episode 7, and our topic for Episode 7 is going to be NDE, Near-Death Experiences. So if we just use the letters NDE on down to make it quicker, you'll know we're talking about the near-death experiences. And uh, this segment one, we're going to talk about exactly what is an NDE. And of course, we're all here. You've heard us here. I'm Alan. I'm Trayson. I'm Tabitha. And we're all here. And just welcome to the podcast. Just jump right in with us. Just kick back and uh, let your mind let your mind go wherever the Lord takes it. Well, near-death experiences, in my opinion, should more properly be called death and return to life experiences, but that don't roll off your tongue so well. But uh, And it's a topic that's interesting to me personally since uh, being a pastor. I've been present with a large number of people who die, probably a larger number than most common folks. And unlike doctors and others in the medical and rescue field, uh, I'm usually present under circumstances where the hope of saving the person's life is passed and the family's readying themselves for the passing of their loved ones. Um Most of these folks do not have the death, return to life, NDE experience where they pass and then return, but I have witnessed many of these deaths where I know the person passing is seeing, hearing, and experiencing things outside this dimension. I personally believe that what they're experiencing is real and that at or near death, some part of our consciousness is awakened to the supernatural realm. The main reason for mentioning this is that I believe it's much the same experience people who have the NDE uh, experience what they witness and experience it's just permanent for the ones who are experiencing natural death and Tabitha you said something about you had some hospice you had read something about or some testimonies of some hospice people that which hospice if you don't know what that is they come in at the in terminal people at the end of life yeah you can YouTube it and it it's they're very moving very powerful 
and and hospice hey shout out to our hospice friends i mean they've been yes, involved in our family and they definitely. do such a great gosh what a great ministry what a great bunch of people that is okay uh now my research is antiquated when it comes to to statistics i'm sure there's some more recent numbers you guys may have found one but i found a u.s gallup poll from 1992 and it says at that time the NDEs re reported were reported by about 200,000 people per year experience had the near death experience and there again i don't think that's a good title near death they actually die some of these folks are gone for a long time about 13 million americans or 5% of the population claim to have had a near death experience and this was a gallup poll done by the NDE research foundation and about 9 percent of indie years have the classic out-of-body experience about eight percent encounter spiritual beings i did find a study that showed that around more recent yeah it was a little <laughs> more recent it showed it to be about eight percent but what i was really struck with eight percent of americans okay had oh, experience oh, okay so. up from five percent yeah. in 1992 okay gotcha, gotcha and which some of that could be the advent of the internet where things are passed around sure, a little sure. more openly but I was struck by the similarities that were mentioned in the study. Um, one of the studies was that I looked at was out of Belgium, and it cl included 154 freely written testimonies of people who'd had an experience. Of those, they found that 80% of those 154 respondents experienced a feeling of peacefulness. 70% saw the classic bright light. 64% reported an interaction with a being outside of oh. a human and two-thirds of them said they experienced an actual out-of-body experience where they were looking at their body or what was going on around them it's pretty interesting now my interest in the nde or life after life experience was probably first steered in me after going to a movie house in the late 70s uh, a movie house that don't exist anymore if you guys think you can remember which one it was mm -hmm. And watching a documentary film on scientific research being done on terminal patients who agreed to be part of a scientific study on the phenomenon of death. And this documentary or this study used all kinds of scientific and technological instruments studying the brain waves. They used a real sensitive scale that noted the minute decreases in the person's weight at the point of death. And some high-tech, now this is the 70s, <laughs> high, and high-tech video recording equipment that would sometimes capture faint images of fog-like spirits drifting up and out through the ceilings and through the windows of the patient's rooms. And I can't for the life of me remember the name of the film. It's funny that she put this in, I believe it was called Beyond and Back. I believe that is it. That sounds right. Because I watched it preparing for this episode oh, did before you really? I found. Before you found that? Yeah, beyond and back. That sounds like, because, and I don't even know how, I think it was a girl I was dating and we ended up going there and, and it was just really super interesting. It and is. I, and I think we just chose it because it's the only movie house in town and the only movie house, that, movie that was showing. Now, I've personally talked with people who related their near-death experiences to me that occurred as a result of traumatic accident or surgery or other medical procedure. It quickly occurred to me that these people are reluctant to talk about their experiences for fear of being judged and labeled by folks who don't believe in these things. The near-death experience seems almost to carry the same stigma as people who have witnessed UFOs, and I fit into that class too, but we'll talk about that in another episode, <laughs> which leads one to believe that there may be a much higher percentage of people who have these experiences, but they just never talk about it. 
While many in the scientific medical community explain these experiences away as hallucinations triggered by ox oxygen deprivation to the brain or maybe drug-induced by the medications or even a natural chemical reaction of the brain as it shuts down, most will admit that many of the incidences are impossible to be explained away with this kind of scientific skepticism. Now, true scientists and true thinking believers are not really not all that far apart. If they're, and, and this is kind of what our show is about. Uh, we're not all that far apart with science. I'm not one of those that says, well, if it's scientific, it, it can't be spiritual. And, I'm not, and I love the people who are scientists that say, you know what, there might be something more behind this that we're missing. And I believe one day true science is going to lead to God. I absolutely. I think we have a really hard time balancing science with the spiritual. The two aren't in conflict with each other. And it's hard for us in a modern, what we consider a scientific world, to admit we've had a spiritual experience. Likewise, like it's sometimes hard for a deeply religious person to admit that a scientific fact doesn't fit perfectly with their theology because it means you've got to sit down and you've got to question where sure. the air is. For sure. For sure. But I do like the seekers, the people that are willing to broaden and open their minds. So that brings us to the end of segment one of God Beyond the Bible. This is episode seven, Near Death Experiences. everybody welcome back to our podcast god beyond the bible by seekers and for seekers today's topic is near-death experiences or real death experiences gone and back again alive dead alive experiences <laughs> <laughs> in segment two we're going to be talking about does the bible support the near-death death experience or more specifically, returning to natural life after dying. And of course, we're not talking about resurrections here, even though those might qualify. I don't know, but you know, where Jesus those rose people from the dead. Those would technically be. But, uh, what I want to do is relate an NDE account and let you decide. It reads like this. I was caught up into heaven about 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I do not know. Only God knows. Yes, that's right. Only God knows whether I was inside my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise, and I heard and saw things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words. Some things no human is allowed to talk about. And, of course, some listeners' ears are already perked up. Anyone want to take a guess who reported this near-death experience and where it was taken from? Did his name start with a P? Yeah, it sure did. He was the Apostle Paul taken out of the Bible, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4 was where I was reading. Now, this may just be one of the single oldest, most widely documented and well-preserved near-death experiences in existence today. One may, one may argue that it was not a near-death experience, but just a vision that Paul experienced, but not so fast. Scholars and theologians alike agree that the, agree that the event triggered, let me go back, Scholars and theologians alike agree that the event that triggered the experience that the Christian Apostle Paul was referring to was also recorded in the Bible in Acts chapter 14. And let's go there, and I want to read it. Acts 14, verses 9 and 20. Then some of the Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, leaving him for dead. 
But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Now keep in mind that the Jewish community of that day were expert stoners. And somebody's laughing out there right now, but there's no <laughs> pun intended. It, they're, they're experts in stoning. It was their way of execution, and they had perfected it. So I think you guys maybe have done a little research on this stoning that they used to do and maybe some possible ways it used to be done. Um, I'll let Tabby go ahead and go first. She and I both pulled up a little bit of information. Okay. Now, we're talking stoning. about, you know, when they stoned, and this is all through the Bible. They, they stoned, and they ought to be stoned, and they were stoned to death. But right. It started way back in Moses' day, but go ahead. Right. Basically, what I gathered from the New Testament stoning most of the time, I had always just thought of a big crowd just throwing rocks. Well, that's and, and that's basically using. what it is. But I didn't realize before that they, a lot of times they would either push them from a tall building to make them immobile. They could um, just tie their hands and feet. Sometimes they would bury them up to the waist oh. in order to keep, or, you know, there were those few times that there were mobs that would just keep them from Gruesome. going. I mean, it, I can't imagine. Okay. Gruesome. <laughs> I found um, that there's actually a scientific name for stoning, and it's called lapidation. And I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, I thought yeah. it was fun. Lapidation. We're going but to lapidate this guy. The key to stoning, the reason it was chosen is because no one could be held responsible for the death of the person because everybody, no one could tell whose stone everybody. actually dealt the death blow. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't realize that. But wow. prior to the rise of early Christianity, stoning had actually fallen out of favor with the Sanhedrin. It was used hypothetically, which meant they would threaten people with stoning, but they never really went through with it until... Well, Stephen... Right, but until Christ died, stoning yeah. had really fallen out of favor, and it sort of rose again. And then Stephen, you know, mm -hmm. was. Now, many agree that this incident in Acts 14 would fit the timeline Paul wrote of in Second Corinthians as having happened about 14 years ago. That's what he said. That was the NDE I read. Of course, we can't prove this is the experience any more than we can prove Paul or anyone else has ever had the experiences they claim to have had. But I learned a long time ago not to try to convince folks they didn't experience what they experienced. It just really galls me when people just try to tell, well, you were, you, it was something else. That wasn't what, yeah. I mean, I we know, have, I know what I know. We right. have to stop believing that just because your journey's not mine means that your journey didn't happen. That's right. That's right. One of the most interesting things about Paul's near-death experience is his statement he writes of not being sure if he was in his body or out of his body. In fact, he repeats that, makes that statement twice. This is consistent with most of the near-death experiences I've both heard personally and read and watched. Most of the people felt like they were in their body, or in a body anyway, yet most of the time they were conscious of the fact that they uh, had viewed their body lying in an operating table or some other place as they were separated from their body. And I found, find this interesting, but that's consistent. What Paul experienced yes. was very consistent with near-death experiences today. However, in most, if not all experiences, they felt as though they were in, their, in a body, and I, I hesitate to say their natural body, and because, I mean, they would tell about hugging and touching deceased family members, and often even they would hug Jesus, or Jesus would touch them in a body. I think it leads credence to the idea that the soul way is much more substantial than we think of it as. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, the consciousness, and, and they just seem to be conscious in a body. I think Paul's recording of his out-of-the-body or in-the-body, whichever it was, near-death experience is real. It lends credibility to all those folks who have had similar experiences. It amazes me how some people are so quick to sneer and hiss and boo uh, the real afterlife experiences of these people. Based on the mere presumption, it can't be real because it's never happened to them. 
And it fascinates me that some of those same people will believe Paul's story because it's in the Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah, but if that's... somebody speaks to them in person about an experience they've had, we tend to set it aside. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it, it, you know, we kind of have a double standard, don't we? That's well. We do, it, it, and I've been as guilty as anyone. I, I can, and I'm not trying to put anybody down here. We don't want to make anybody feel bad. I just want to say that, open our minds a little bit, folks. Um, now, some of these afterlife experiences occur when the person is dead for only a few moments and are easily explained away as chemical or medical hallucinations. I can understand that. But as we will explore in the next segment, there are those that this false logic cannot account for. And if you will, we hope you'll stay tuned for segment three. We're cutting these first two segments a little short, but uh, for segment three, where I think we're going to have most of our discussion. And so stay tuned for segment three as we look at a couple of the most amazing near-death experiences in my mind that have ever been documented and I don't want to say told they're documented awesome okay everybody welcome back to segment three of our podcast God Beyond the Bible a podcast by seekers and for seekers want to remind you that we have a new episode that we release every Friday and Trayson how can listeners be sure they get every episode as soon as it is released sure they can subscribe to our episodes on iTunes Google Play Spotify or SoundCloud and you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash God Beyond the Bible or just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar on Facebook and you can also keep an eye out on our website at godbeyondthebible.com slash episodes now, that's where I usually go. I, I mm-hmm. think I saved, actually saved the web page, and then it says episodes, and I just punch episodes and let it take me wherever it takes me, and it gets me the episodes. That's pretty that's And pretty the neat. new episodes air between 7 and 8 o'clock on Friday mornings. I try to always have them out at 7, but sometimes the website and Central I argue. Time, right? Central, Central time. Central yes. time here in Arkansas. Okay. Uh, well, I want to just say thanks to our support, our local businesses. We've got a couple local businesses and individuals that feel compelled to support our efforts. Now, I want to say right here, we don't get paid for doing this. This is just, this is an investment that, of our time, an investment of, well, money, too, yes. mm-hmm. that we've made in this. But uh, I just want to say thanks to the businesses that probably maybe right now want to remain anonymous. I don't know that they <laughs> haven't said any others, but support our efforts in helping seekers to experience our awesome God, both in the Bible and far beyond. Uh, and these are businesses and individuals. Our mission and goal here at God Beyond the Bible is to direct seekers towards our awesome Lord and get believers just to think outside the box. Consider thinking outside the box. Realize that God is still communicating and influencing the world we live in every day. All we need to do is refuse to limit him by thinking he has said all he has to say and done all he's going to do, or that he's, or all that he's ever done or is ever going to do has been written down in a single work and call it the Bible and say that's the sum of God. And that's what we're all about. And we're ready to go into segment three. And Trayson, what are we doing here in segment three? We're going to be looking into a couple of specific near-death experiences that seem to have irrefutable support and testimony. And uh, let me say right now, I'm going to say thanks to my co-host, my daughter, Trayson, that she does a lot of research and and she really takes this serious. uh, And she does all of our pretty well all of our technical 
technological, technical <laughs> stuff that we yeah, do. Yeah, it's good that it's not up to me and you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 a great thing that she's able. And Tabitha, that she just keeps us going and flowing and yeah. does our recording. And we record these actually usually on Sunday afternoon. We're mm-hmm. sitting around in the studio doing this. So, okay, now let's get to those near-death experiences. I want to talk about Pam Reynolds Lowry. Uh, she was born in 1956. Uh, she's from Atlanta, Georgia. She was an American singer-songwriter. In 1991, at the age of 35, she stated that she had a near-death experience during a brain operation performed by Dr. Robert Spitzer, and I hope that's right, at the Barrel Neurological Institute in Phoenix, Arizona. Her experience is one of the most widely documented in near-death experience studies because of the circumstances under which it happened. Reynolds was under close medical monitoring during the entire operation. During part of the operation, about four hours of the seven-hour procedure, she had no brainwave activity, no blood flowing to her brain, which rendered her clinically dead. Now, that's a state where when that happens in the emergency room, what happens? Or the operating table, that's, at that state, that's usually when they call time yes. and, and look at the t- clock and say death at certain certain time, but not in her case. She claimed to have made several observations during this period, which later medical personnel reported to be accurate. The near-death claim has been considered by some to be evidence of the survival of consciousness after death and of life after death. Pam Reynolds reported to her physician that she was experiencing symptoms of dizziness, loss of speech, and difficulty in moving parts of her body. Her physician referred her to a neurologist and a CAT scan, later revealed that Reynolds had a large aneurysm in her brain, close to the brain stem. Because of the difficult position of the aneurysm, Reynolds was predicted to have no chance of surviving surgery for its removal. As a last resort, Dr. Spitzer decided that a rarely performed procedure known as hypothermic cardiac arrest, and it's just what it sounds like, it's death, hypothermic cardiac arrest could improve Reynolds' chances of surviving surgical removal of the aneurysm. During this procedure, also known as standstill operation, Reynolds' body temperature was lowered to 50 degrees Fahrenheit, her breathing and heartbeat stopped, her blood would be drained, her eyes were closed with tape, and, and small earplugs with speakers were placed in her ears. These speakers emitted audible clicks, which were used to check the function of the brain stem to ensure that she had a flat EEG or a non-responsive brain before the operation proceeded. Now, as I've said before, uh, the total surgery lasted about seven hours. Reynolds reported that during the surgery, she left her body and floated above the operating room and watched the doctors perform the operation. She claimed that during this time, her senses were more aware than they ever were in her natural state. I remember her saying that her she could hear, see colors, see things that she never could see in wow. real life. She reported seeing the surgical saw and described it accurately. I think she described it as an electric toothbrush. It looked yeah. like an electric toothbrush, <laughs> if I remember right. As she described it accurately afterwards, even more amazing is despite the fact that her ears were plugged with the pulse-emitting earplugs, she related to the surgical staff the conversation they had during the surgery. The staff confirmed the accuracy of her claim. At some point, she says she noticed a presence and was pulled towards the light. She began to discern figures in the light, including her deceased grandmother, an uncle, and many other deceased relatives, some she had never met in life. At some point, she was reminded that she must return and was escorted by her uncle, who she reported pushed her into her body, which she described as feeling like plunging into an icy pool of water. Now, Reynolds reported much more information that a person merely under anesthesia would anesthesia would not know, much less a person who was clinical, clinically dead. She later released songs such as Coming Back to Life, 
and side effects of dying. And then Reynolds died uh, some 19 years later on May 22nd, 2010. Wow. Now, when presented with an experience such as this, I mean, what are the conclusions? What, what, what do we reach here in conclusions? Y'all, do you, you guys watch this. I read it. I've read it a couple of times in different places. but I'm always one I like, I like to hear. I like to see them and, and hear their... And you can do that on YouTube. Yes, and, it, yeah. and but she's on there. It even talks to her surgeon, the neurologist that was on there. And it. I, I can't even put into words just how, how powerful it was and how, how real it was to her. I mean, you... I couldn't question after watching her tell her story whether you, you it really know, happened. And this to wasn't her. five minutes or no six minutes or seven minutes. It was it was seven hours. And I will say here though that watching these becomes addictive. I spent probably five <laughs> hours yeah. watching different testimonies. Yeah. <laughs> I can see I can see our listeners right now, but I hope you check yeah. out the ones we talk about. Definitely, Tracy. I had, chose I chose to read them because I am well, that's I am I a do, word yeah. person. I like to sit and me, read yes. and get lost in the word. But I have to conclude that her story was real. And I found another really short story from a gentleman. Um, when he was a boy, he died for a really short amount of time during a hospital stay. And during the hubbub of the time that he coded, he said he watched clearly from above as one of the nurses knocked a Game Boy off the corner table. And one of the batteries rolled under the hospital bed. He said it hit the leg underneath and... He said, while he doesn't really remember leaving his body or returning, just this one little bit of the experience, he said it was like falling asleep and waking up out of his body, then suddenly waking up in his body again. He said, after things settled down, the nurse put the battery she found back in the Game Boy and apologized to him for losing one. He said, so I told her it's under the left leg of the bed, just on the inside. And he said the nurse was really shocked because when she leaned down, there was that battery sure. sitting there. Sure. And I just I can't discount these stories because I, there's no way he could have known what happened to that battery. I read I read a similar one and and several years ago when it was kind of interesting to me as I'm taking the top off my water bottle. <laughs> uh, it was interesting to me and it was one of a guy that was blind and he had died in the emergency room. And then he saw all this stuff happen to him. And by the and then he said and I'm making this really short, but he said to the doctor after he was brought back to life and recovered. He said, did you find your pen? And the doctor said, my pen? He said, yeah, it, it rolled behind the door in the operating oh, room. Wow. When, you, when you ran into the emergency room, it ran behind the door. So anyway, all right, we've got to go to another here real quick. Famous cardiac surgeon Lloyd Rudy, in interview with Mike Milligan, tells of his experience of being called in on Christmas Day to perform an emergency heart surgery on a man who had had an oral infection infection that had migrated to his heart and affected a heart valve in a way that required immediate emergency surgery. Dr. Rudy said the surgery went well and the valve was repaired, but when they attempted to remove the patient from the heart bypass machine, his blood pressure would begin to drop as well as his pulse and other vitals. Now, this is a cardiologist telling this story. They had quickly put him back. Uh, uh, let me see. They had quickly put him uh him back fully on the bypass machine and again and again try to slowly remove him with the same disappointing results each time. They tried everything they knew, every drug, procedure with no success. Finally, after many attempts, they faced the reality they would not be able to save this patient. The decision was made to pull the bypass machine and pronounce him dead. The machine was removed, the patient's heart flatlined, no blood pressure, all brain activity ceased to the point the patient was pronounced dead. The anesthesiologist left to get something to eat. Dr. Rudy and his assistant, uh, or left his assistant temporarily close the chest cavity for a later post-mortem that was mandatory when a patient dies in surgery. Dr. Rudy and his assistants had both left the room and removed their surgical guard, their gowns, gloves, and etc. 
and the cleanup team had begun to remove instruments and items from the room to be cleaned and sanitized. Dr. Rudy states that for whatever reason, the echo probe had not been removed, nor had the EEG been turned off, and he remembers that even the paper from the machine was forming a pile on the surgery room floor. As the doctor and his assistant stood in the doorway in their short sleeves discussing what they might have done differently, more than 20 minutes had elapsed since the patient had been pronounced. They noticed a blip on the monitor, which was not unusual. Patients often produce what is known as an agonal heartbeat, but this was soon recognized as something much different. The blips became more regular, 30, 40, 50 beats per minute. Suddenly, the patient began to produce a blood pressure. The doctor yelled to get everyone back in the surgery room, get the patient back on the anesthesia and the respirator. Without the aid of the heart bypass machine, and almost half an hour later, the patient, for lack of better terms, came back to life. In the next week to 10 days, as the doctor and other staff visited with the patient as he was rapidly recovering from the ordeal, the man told him how he had left his body and was drawn towards an inviting light. But he also gave details of the happenings in the surgery room during the time after he had been pronounced dead. He even told the doctor and the assistant details of their conversation as they stood in the doorway discussing the operation. By this experience and various others, Dr. Lloyd Rudy is convinced there is something beyond this life. He later shared his experience with a group of 13 other cardiac surgeons who, to his surprise, had each had similar unexplainable experiences. Uh, you know, we encourage you to, to research and view these and other NDE yes. testimonies that can be found on YouTube and other sources. Uh, thanks to this wonderful age of exchange, free exchange of information, these and thousands of other such NDEs can be read, viewed, and shared in a way that before now could only have been, uh, would only have appeared in the tabloid paper at the checkout stand and, at the supermarket. And Go if ahead. you have one that you want to share with us, please, by all means, we have a contact us on our website that sure. you can send us a message or you can send us an email or you know, barring that, if you'd like to talk to us on the phone, just send us an email and we'll get in contact with you. Absolutely. And, and, and I want to say, too, that as we grow in this, as we uh, as we grow in this, we will have guests. We would love to have some guests yes. come and live guests here as we record. Of course, it won't, it's not live, but it is live recording. Uh, what do these experiences say to us? I mean, do you guys have any comments? What do they say to us? Well, I think it. For me, it very much made it makes God more even more real. To and me you watched to this, know. right? And, and you, I watched and I watched this um, doctor. What was his name? Ru uh, doctor Rudy. I couldn't yeah, remember if yeah. it was Rudy or Lloyd. Lloyd, Lloyd Rudy. Doctor yeah. Rudy, and he, you know, this wasn't his only experience. No, he no, had no. more than he shared, and it's. I, I just think it's very moving and very powerful, and it's also important to note that. These people who have these near-death experiences are not all believers or all Christians. No, no, that's so true. That's I agree completely, and I think we we can't just pretend that these experiences don't happen. If we close our eyes to the spiritual side of life, we're literally cutting off over half of who we are. We're spiritual beings with a body, and to ignore that is to take half of ourselves away, and it limits our lives in really sad ways. I agree Very totally. Well is this not God still speaking to us in miraculous and magnificent ways? Do yeah. we just stop our ears and close our eyes and refuse to believe these people who have true afterlife experiences? Wouldn't you think this would be an area where a lot more research would be desirable? Why is this subject objectionable to lots of Christians in the Christian community? Why, why are we having such trouble with this? And if it's not objectable, uh, it's not really pursued or analyzed or talked about very much, even though Paul, remember, mm -hmm. gave his in the Bible. Well, our conclusion, in short, I believe in life after death, naturally. Uh, I have studied many near-death experiences and find the evidence of many of them irrefutable. 
why is it that our God who loves us and wants to communicate that love to us, presents himself to us in all these supernatural ways, yet unless we can read it specifically on the pages of the Bible, we write it off, it's impossible. It's not real. One must ask, was the Apostle Paul's NDE real? And was his experience a one-off event that hasn't ever been repeated? A word to all you open-minded seekers out there. God is bigger and more present in our world and lives than we can ever imagine. Sadly, many often choose to condense his presence and activities a few recorded events throughout eternity. Let us know what you think about today's topic. Always love to hear from you. Uh, we would love to hear from you on this topic. God's grace and peace on you, my fellow seekers. Until the next time on God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.